creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, our king, we give you the glory and the honor. We take our eyes off our circumstances and put them firmly on you this morning as we come to your word and as we come to learn from you together. So guide us in this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, month ago, my boys had signed up for this introduction to curling, which we thought would be a good idea because now we live in Saskatchewan, that's kind of like the national pastime of people live in Saskatchewan is curling, right? That's, you know, that's part of our DNA, rough riders, curling, you know, I don't, you know, farming, I guess, you know, like a, that's part of being part of Saskatchewan. And I took my kids to the rink, I brought a book along, so I thought I'll like I'll read while they curl and, and I'll just watch and this. Uh, gaggle of kids comes in the curling rink from four different schools and it's a bit chaotic and mayhem and, and the lady that's leading it she says we need some crowd control on the ice and I'm like well I can do crowd control right now absolutely yeah so you know I so I follow this crowd you know the you know herding out onto the ice and there we are lined up and and I'm there to do crowd control and someone hands me a clipboard and it's like here's how to teach curling <laughs> and I've never curled in my life I've watched curling, so of course I'm an expert in curling, you know, and there we are, and I'm like, here's the clipboard, or here's the six steps to, to throwing a rock. I, is that what you call it, throwing a rock? I don't know, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, and, you know, approach the hack, you know, what's the hack, you know, and trying to figure this out as I go watching other people that seem to know I'm not wearing the curling attire, you know, I don't have my own broom, and, and I thought, what have I gotten myself into? What have I gotten myself into? A number of years ago, Lisa and I were new to the church, no kids. We were invited on this canoe trip. We'd canoed lots on lakes at Bible camps, and this was a canoe trip on the Red Deer River starting in Sundry, and we thought, this sounds like a lot of fun. Camping, canoeing, I would do the devotionals in the evening, fishing. I mean, this is like the, you know, a, a trilogy of fun and excitement, and so we get into the the river in Sundry, and it's, the Red Deer River in Sundry is not very wide, probably, you know, slightly, you know, as wide as the chairs maybe at its widest point, as narrow as these chairs in its narrowest point, and, and we begin, you know, canoeing, and wow, it's, it's really fun canoeing on a river, because you don't really have to paddle, you just kind of have to steer, right, because the water just carries you, so we're, we're, we're having a great time, and all of a sudden we, we hit the first corner, and there's this tree sticking out, I'm like, okay, Elisa, we've got to get away from this tree. And, and we're paddling, and we're paddling, and it's like the tree's like calling our name, Elisa, Mike, you know, sucking us right to it. And, and we get to the tree, and Elisa grabs onto the tree, right? And so, so what happens is the canoe keeps going, but Elisa is holding onto the tree, right? The canoe flips over. I'm grabbing the canoe. I'm dragging it to the shore. My guitar is in the canoe and everything else. And that was like five minutes into the canoe trip. And we're both looking at each other saying, what did we get ourselves into here? It was um, good for our marriage. <laughs> you know, you learn to, you know, fight through adversity. And, and we got really good at communication. And we never flipped again the whole trip. But it was like, what did we get ourselves into? Now, I'm speaking in just very kind of trite matters. There's bigger things in life where you've had those experiences. 
a new job where you're like, what did I get myself into? Maybe you moved to a different place. Uh, it's a life decision. You start school somewhere else, and you're like, what did I get myself into? And Matthew writes in the first century from his own personal experience with Jesus, this gospel to a group of people that are, are living, you know, years later after Christ died and rose again and ascended into heaven. He's writing this group of disciples. And, and many of them, I'm sure, were having the, the same feeling. Like, what did we get ourselves into? Jesus seems so glorious, so good, but life doesn't necessarily feel that way right now. What did we get ourselves into? And, and, and he reminds them in Matthew chapter 8 that when you follow Jesus, you need to know what you're getting into. You need to know and understand what you're getting into. And if you have your Bibles, if not, there's some Bibles back there. If not, it'll be on the screen. And, and Jesus is moving through Matthew 8. Last week we looked at, you know, he heals a leper. He touches him. He heals this centurion's slave from a distance by just saying the word. Boom, the guy, you know, his slave is healed. His servant is healed. And, and now as we go on, he, he goes to Peter's house and, and heals his mother-in-law. She gets up and begins serving him right away. And then all of a sudden, all these people are coming to Jesus in Capernaum demon-possessed, sick, ill, crippled, and he's healing all these people, and the crowd is growing. It's a prime opportunity for Jesus to really take his, his ministry to the next level. If you, you know, think about politics and elections, we're kind of in that season, half of us in this city right now. You know, sometimes when you get this kind of momentum, like, you got to just go with it. But Jesus doesn't do that. It says in verse 18, when Jesus saw large crowds around him, he gave orders to go to the other side of the lake. He's not looking for that popularist opportunity. He's, he's like, okay, guys, it's time for us to move on. They're like, wait a second, Jesus. We're just getting steam here. What are you doing? He's like, no, it's time to move on. See, Jesus is on his own timetable. He is dictated by the Father what he's supposed to be doing. And he's like, you know, this is not the time to, to be building up my own little enterprise here. It's time to move over to that foreign area, that strange region on the other side of the lake that most good Jews don't actually venture into. It's time to move on. And, and, of course, there is these boats on the side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. It's like a large, you know, Saskatchewan, Albertan lake. Not very big, but big enough. It's a beautiful place, and these boats are probably about 20 feet long. There is one on the Sea of Galilee that they've excavated. They pulled out of the muck, and they've re, kind of re-put it together. So you can kind of get a sense of the... The, you know, it's, it's a big enough boat that you can get all the disciples of Jesus into it and a few extras, but it's not big enough that like all of us could just jump in and float across the lake. Like, it's, it's limited seating. And he's like, hey, it's time for us to go, and there seems to be these couple guys that want to get in on the action with Jesus. But Jesus is going to have an interaction with these two men, and basically he's going to ask them, you know, if you, when you follow me, you need to understand what you're getting into here. The first guy, he's a teacher in the law, an expert in the law, it says in verse 19, came to him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. I mean, it sounds pretty good. An expert in the law, a scribe, a, a, you know, a teacher, you know, it, it would, would raise the educational level of the disciples up significantly, right? Like this is a, a good guy to have on your team. Impressive resume, probably, you know, like a Yale, Harvard degree. I mean, th this is a guy that's going to raise the whole caliber of everything. Mean, the kind of guy you want on your team, right? He's looking at Jesus, and he's seeing the crowds. He's seeing the momentum. He's seeing the hype, and he's like, this is my opportunity to get in on something at the beginning. You know, if I follow Jesus now, this could end up really paying back for me later. Some of you make those kind of decisions. Be honest, right? I mean, you, 
if I take this promotion, if I, you know, if I move to Lloydminster, then maybe I'll get a chance to move to the promised land, Calgary someday, you know, or whatever it is, right? I mean, you know, people do that, or people go to, like, to these, you know, remote, you know, oil field areas to sort of get the transfer in the future. I mean, we do that, right? If I help out with this campaign for this politician, then maybe next time around I can be the nominee, and we build our little portfolios to build our own future. And here he is, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now, the, Matthew uses a word here. It's that word teacher. If you read through the Gospel of Matthew, you'll, you'll discover that whoever calls Jesus a teacher is not actually a fully committed follower of his. They actually don't even believe in Jesus. Uh, the rich young ruler calls him teacher. Pharisees will call him teacher. Sadducees, Herodians will call him teacher. Tax collectors refer to him as teacher. The committed disciples don't ever call him teacher. They call him Lord. Teacher, I'm with you. You know, let, let, let's, let's move on. Let, let, let's get this done. And Jesus answers him in verse 20. He says, foxes have dens, birds in the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The fox is better off than me. The bird is better off than me. If you're joining me, you've got to understand what you're getting into. When you follow Jesus, you need to know what you're getting into. I can't promise you a great mansion. There is no retirement plan with this. <laughs> there is no tax-free benefits when you follow me. You understand where, where we're going. This is, does not equal political appointments down the road. The fox and the bird has more advantages than my followers. Do you get what you're asking for? I don't think you do, Jesus says here. The Son of Man, and again, this title is sort of a unique title that Jesus refers to himself many times in the Gospels to this title. It, it describes, at, at some points, his earthly ministry. At other times, it describes the suffering journey that he's going to take. And, and other times, the Son of Man describes the glory that will follow every, all these other aspects of his life. And, and it's the self-designation that Jesus uses because it has no political overtones to it. I mean, if he says, the Jewish Mashiach, you know, <laughs> has no place to lay his head, they'd be like, okay, this is, you know, a, a politically charged word. But he uses this, this term, which comes out of the book of Daniel, referring to this heavenly being or person who's associated with heaven. And now Jesus uses it for himself. Here I am. I'm from heaven. I'm here on earth, but I've got no place to lay my head. I mean, he says, I'll follow you wherever you go. He doesn't understand where Jesus is going. Jesus understands where I'm going. He's like, you don't want to follow me where I'm going. Matthew will lead us to that in the Gospel of Matthew. Where Jesus is going is it's a cross. It's a horrific execution. It's dying for the sins of all of humanity. It's being rejected, abandoned, betrayed. Do you really want to follow me there? Well, another guy comes up. Verse 21. He says, another one of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Uh, I'm with you, Jesus. He, he's not calling him teacher. He's calling him Lord. But, but I, I just got to take care of, of, of my father first. And we would all look at this and say, of course, if your dad died, you should be doing that. But, but the reality is, if his dad had died, he wouldn't be here. He'd be doing that right now. He's referring to a situation where his dad is sitting in, you know, the, the Dr. Cook or whatever, and he's waiting you know, he's, he's crossing off dates on the calendar until finally his, his day comes and, and he, you know, he expires and then he goes through the process. He's like, I don't know when my dad's going to die, but when that happens, then I'm with you, Jesus. If the first guy was over-eager, the last guy is under-eager. <laughs> as 
long as it fits with my schedule, Jesus, I'll give you my life. He had an issue of priority. And Jesus is like, you know, if you follow me, you need to understand what you're getting into. And Jesus responds in verse 22, and he says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I mean, it's as, it's as harsh as it sounds, it is. He's like, look, there are, everyone around us is, is just dealing with life on, on, a, on a dead plane. If you want to deal with life on a spiritual plane, then you need to just jump in with me right now and leave that other stuff behind. At times, I mean, Jesus makes some pretty harsh statements. He's like, you've got to hate your mother and father. He's not meaning like hating on them. He just means you can't love them more than you love me. He's like, there are spiritual priorities, and that means you let other people deal with the, the, just the, the mundane stuff in life, and let's get on to the kingdom business. Jesus. Now, sometimes we have to make those tough decisions as followers of Jesus. I was in Mexico with the Bonillas and a few others associated with, with me years ago on a missions trip and was responsible for, you know, 30 kids of our own and then another 30 of another youth group were together. We got this team. We're doing mission work down on the Baja. It was awesome. Great time. God's working. this powerful, you know, times of worship and of service and and then I get this call. Somehow my mom tracked me down at the orphanage there and been sent to Guerrero. And, and she's like, yeah, your, your, your grandpa died. Guido died. This is the Ukrainian term for grandpa. Guido's dead. I'm like, really? Yeah, and we're having a service in like two days. I'm like, really? I'm in the Baja. And, and like, this is way up north of Edmonton. And I'm like, I've got 30 kids that are, kind of, you know, that I'm, I'm responsible for. And I'm broke. <laughs> you know? Uh, I don't even know where the nearest airport would be, and I'm just like, you know, well, pray for you. I hope the service goes well. I'll see you when I get home. I had to make that decision. That was tough. I mean, I'm not saying it was easy, and, and you know, and I, I mean, my, for my grandfather, we were the only four grandchildren he had. It was my mom's children, and, and so there I was stuck in, in Mexico, but it was like, you know, you got to make your choices, and at that point, it was like, well, I'm, I'm doing this, and this is where God wants me at this point. I got to just go with it, and sometimes we have to make those tough choices. Jesus is like, yeah, your dad is important, but if you want to follow me, then you can, I need to become your number one priority. So in the background of that, we jump into this boat in verse 23. And as he got into the boat, the disciples followed him. And so, so they're doing what Jesus asked them to do. They get into the boat. They're following him. He's ordered them to do that in verse 18. Now they're getting into the boat. They're following Jesus into the boat. And it says, and a great storm developed on the sea so that the waves began to swamp the boat. But Jesus was asleep. He was sleeping. I mean, they're doing exactly what God asked them to do. Get in the boat. And this storm comes. The word for storm is the word from which we get our English word seismic. It's just like this like earthquake-like thing going. It's shaking them, and it's rocking them, and Literally, the, the, the language is such that like, like they're, they're in these troughs in, in the ocean and they can't even see above the waves and, and the waves are all around them. And, they, and these experienced fishermen are beginning to feel this, like, this pressure of like what is going on and there's Jesus sleeping. And it's almost like they're, they're bailing water and they're trying to roll and they're just looking at Jesus with disgust like, how dare you sleep while we're, where we're going down? Like, what, do, what do you think you're doing, Jesus? Get up! You know, like, like you know, in their hearts. There are storms in life that we get ourselves into. You know, we make bad choices. 
borrow money, we probably should. We decide to go somewhere. We, on our own initiative, we, we act out of fear. And we find ourselves in our own storm sometimes, and, and, and that's, that's a different scenario. We make some bad relational decisions. We waste large periods of our life doing things that have no value. For instance, play video games for, you know, hundreds of hours, right? Like that, that, that will accomplish nothing for eternity. God doesn't give us any expe- special rewards for the, you know, the characters you develop on your online gaming. It, do- it doesn't mean anything in heaven. Like there, there's things like that. Even all the overtime you do at work and all the projects you're doing right now, in eternity most likely will mean nothing. Understand that. We get ourselves into our own storms. This is a storm that Jesus brought them into. They are right in the middle of God's will for their life. They're with Jesus in the boat. He told them to get in. They followed him into the boat. And now they're in this storm and they're about to die. And they're like, what is going on? You've felt that. You're like, I, I took this step of obedience and now like, it, it feels like I'm, I'm just getting hammered here. It tells us that uh, in verse 25, they came and they woke him. And they said, Lord, save us. We're going to die. Like, like come on, Jesus. <laughs> We're going down. <laughs> and and, and it's, it's, it's like, we, we feel it. Like, I mean, we understand it, of course. I mean, the, the, the waves are, are surging around. They can't even see over the waves. I mean, these experienced fishermen, they've never been in a, a storm like this. The Sea of Galilee was notorious. Like, the, the winds would kind of come down that trench, and it would sort of hit the high and low pressure systems and, and just whip up, you know, meter high, multiple meter high waves. I mean, th- this could happen. But this was even worse than anything they'd ever seen before. And they're like, we are about to die. And then Jesus says to them in verse 26, Why are you so cowardly, you people of little faith? Why are you so fearful, you of little faith? The winds are, are, are blowing. The waves are still splashing into the boat. The bale buckets are still flying. And, and Jesus is letting this all continue. And he's just looking at them. You know, the, way, the boat's rocking. He's like, why are you so fearful, you guys of little faith? You know, the waves, you know. He lets them sit in it a little bit longer. And then, then he got up. It's like he's on one elbow, you know, getting off his pillow. He's on one elbow. He's like, why are you so fearful? And then he, you know, you have a little faith. And then he gets up and rebukes the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men were amazed, it says in verse 27, and said, what kind of man is this? What sort of person is this? Even the winds and the sea obey. It's like this great calm. I mean, you guys have been on the lakes. I know this is kind of lake country. You like fishing. And when a storm comes, it's, 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 you know, it, it, it you know, rocks everything up. And then the storm fades away, and it just takes a long time for those waves to finally just get down to, to being calm again. It, it, hours sometimes. I grew up on Shoe Lake. I mean, the people would run their boats all day, and then it would just take hours to finally, for all that chop, to finally just calm down to but Jesus gets up, and in one instant, boom. It's like, what happened to the storm? Where'd it go, you know? And there's Jesus, and he's, he's sitting there, and like, what is this? Who is this? When you follow Jesus, you need to know what you're getting into. The reality is they got into a boat with Jesus. 
So it doesn't matter what happens. You're in the best place you could possibly be on earth on that moment with Jesus. It doesn't matter what happens to you. You are with Jesus. Did you notice that the storm brought them to a realization of Jesus? A greater realization of Jesus. A a more profound understanding and appreciation for Jesus. Do Do you see that? I'm not wishing any storm into your life, but this is often what God does with our storms. It brings us to a place where we are on our knees, screaming and crying and to the end of ourselves, and then we realize we've got Jesus in the boat with us. When you're bailing, you don't have time to look at Jesus. When you're rowing, you don't have time to, to, to you know, you're, you're just trying to figure your way out of the situation. And, and finally, they, they, they can't do it on their own. They're like, okay, Jesus, save us. And he's like, I'm here the whole time, you guys. Did you not realize who's with you in the boat? Jesus. And sometimes he directs us right into the storm. Yeah, turn towards those clouds. I mean, we see clouds, and it's like, get off the water. Sometimes Jesus says, okay, turn right towards that big thunderhead and drive right for it. I'm taking you into the eye of the storm. You're like, why, Jesus? Because I want you to have a greater appreciation for who I am anyway. I want you to experience my power and my presence and my peace like you will not experience if you just keep bailing and paddling on your own. What makes us different? The followers of Jesus Christ don't freak out in the storm. We just hold on, and we cling to Jesus, and we trust in him. You know that classic movie, Finding Nemo? (laughs) (laughs) They get out of the EAC, and they're trying to, like, where are we going? And Dory sees this little speck in the distance. Oh, hey, little guy. Oh, look at that, you know, and she's, you know, she's, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's not a little speck. It's like, whoa, it's a whale, and it swallows them up. And they're like, oh, no, we're in the whale, we're dead, la, la, you know, and, and, uh, and the whale takes them right to Sydney and spurts them out, you know, to the spot where they need to be. And it's like, whoa, we had no idea that this little speck turns out into this great thing that actually takes us to right where we want to be. And we, we enter our own storms, and we're like, where do we go? How do we get through this? And we think, okay, Jesus is this little speck, but no, no. He's this almighty creator, the powerful Lord of creation. I mean, only God can command creation to to obey him, and it obeys instantly. The one who made it is the one who who has mastery over it, who is Lord over it, and he says, be calm, and it's calm. He's about to enter a highly demonized area on the other side of the lake. This probably has some spiritual overtones, this storm, no doubt. And Jesus will deal with that with with no problem whatsoever. He is incomparable. There is no one like Jesus. When you follow Jesus, you need to know what you're getting into. You're getting into a boat with the Lord of all the earth, who is the master of peace, who is sovereign, who is majestic, powerful, all-wise, all-knowing, caring, merciful, gracious. You're in a safe place. And he will use those storms to accomplish his purposes. I found this interesting story about this lady named Mary Pryor. Mary Pryor had an opportunity to marry a very rich man when she was young, but she turned him down and married this guy that spun wool. And, and he was, they were Quakers and, and very devout and, and religious people, very passionate about Jesus. 
It says that after her last child married, Mary felt called to preach the gospel in America. She did not look forward to separation from her husband, but felt God had the right to ask it. She felt God was telling her to take passage on a boat named the Fame, which was in such bad shape that it was considered a serious risk. Her son, who worked for the insurance company Lloyd's, pleaded with her not to sail in the leaky ship. Again, she asked the Lord, and she felt convinced that he wanted her on the boat. She was over 60. God's purpose was soon clear. The ship sprang a serious leak. The sailors and passengers had to work the pumps night and day to keep it afloat. This effort continued for several weeks as the ship made slow sailing. All became exhausted. The captain drowned himself in drink. But Mary's constant prayers and words of assurance put heart in the men. Finally, they felt they could drive the pumps no longer. At that point, Mary came from her cabin, promising them that God had shown her that all would be rescued that very day if only they worked the pumps. Now, can you imagine, right? You've been working these for weeks. The ship has stopped moving. It's, it's, it's just moving one way down. And this, this old lady comes out. She's like, just keep doing it. You're going to be okay. Yeah, say, yeah, 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 lady, sure. Okay, yeah, you've been praying the whole time. Look, look, look what's happened. We're just going down and down and down. She even named the ship that would rescue them. <laughs> the Archibald. However, the water was now entering faster than they could pump it out. The ship began to sink under them. Mary urged them to work for just two more hours. Rescue would come within that time, she said. Can you imagine the longest two hours of your life? This ship has been sinking for weeks, and now it's, it's ready to go down. And she's like, just two more hours. Does this lady have any idea what she's talking about? The crew threw overboard all they could. Within two hours, the Archibald was spotted, as Mary had promised. It was just a 60-ton fishing boat and short of water. The coast of America was still 600 miles away, but the fishermen agreed to reduce their own water rations, and they crammed the fame's entire crew and passengers aboard. Mary landed in Philadelphia on March 15, 1798. Immediately, she fell to the ground. A friend who had met her at the ship thought she had stumbled, and he leaned over to help her up, but a passenger, recognizing that she was kneeling to pray, stopped him from pulling her to her feet. The captain... The crew and the passengers gathered around her, removing their hats as she poured out her heart in thanks to God. Sometimes God takes us right into the storm. Sometimes, sometimes he takes us to the point where we feel like we are going under. That situation with our kids where you just can't do anything. That health situation where, where there's just no answer. You're, you're not a doctor. You can't fix it. The financial situation which seems so overwhelming, you're like, there's no way I can get out of this hole. The emotional turmoil that you find yourself in every morning, every evening. You're like, I'm going down. And Matthew says, when you follow Jesus, you need to know what you're getting into. You're getting into a boat with Jesus. And no matter what storm comes your way, he is powerful and sufficient to carry you through it and to and, and that you hopefully would see in that storm god's providential hand working in and through you the apostle paul would write the romans and he would remind them who will separate us from the love of christ will trouble or distress 
or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we encounter death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we have complete victory through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor heavenly rulers, nor things that are present, nor things that are to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see? We live in a different world now. Not even death. Like death for us is like, whoa, it's the end. It's awful. It's the great, you know, chasm of unknowingness. No, no, death is instant graduation to Jesus, right? Death doesn't even separate you. It just brings you closer to the love of God in Jesus Christ. We're like, oh, death is the end. No, death is the beginning. And he's the highest mountain, the highest plane, and dropping you out without a parachute. Who cares? It doesn't separate me from the love of Christ. Take me down to the Mariana Trench, the deepest part of the ocean. It doesn't separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. Throw me in jail. Beat me up. Knock my teeth out. Cut out my tongue. It doesn't separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing. When people do things that hurt you, People abandon you. People betray you. It doesn't separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. No spiritual power can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. When you follow Jesus, you need to know what you're getting into. You're getting into the boat with the most powerful creator of the whole universe, the Savior of the world. It is the safest, strongest, healthiest, best place to be with Jesus, Matthew says. I don't know what your storm is today. But there is no storm that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And Matthew reminds his readers, like, look who you're with. He just gets up and snaps his fingers, and and the waves are instantly calm. The wind stops. You don't think he knows your situation. It may feel like he's sleeping, but he knows exactly what you're going through. Exactly. Trust him. They're only problem was that it had insufficient faith in the moment they were looking at the wrong things focusing on the waves focusing on the water focusing on the bailing focusing on the guy that's sleeping and not bailing not focusing on jesus the lord of creation get your eyes back to jesus when you follow jesus you need to know what you're getting into you're getting into a place of secure confident trust and faith and no matter what happens he's with you and he'll carry you through it team as you come up to to lead us in the final song would you just invite everyone here just if you'd bow with me in prayer and some of you are 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 in something real heavy right now and, and and i don't know what it is i just know that just by virtue of the law of averages there's a bunch of you that are just feeling a burden today you feel like the waves just don't stop you don't see the sun. You just see clouds and rain. And, and, I w- and Jesus wants to just poke through the clouds into your life today and, and just speak a word of, of, of hope, of encouragement to your, to your hurt and battered soul. And uh, I just encourage you just to open, open up your heart to receive that from him this morning. I don't have the answers for your situation. I just know that Jesus does. And that he'll carry you through it and he will help you. And that, that he will sustain you. And, and at the end of this journey, there is peace. For all those who follow Jesus Christ, there is peace. And so, Lord, would you give us your peace today? And, Father, I pray for the person that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior this morning, that they would receive Christ this morning, that they would put their faith in the, 
in the Lord of creation and the God of salvation, Jesus Christ, who died for their sins and rose again. And Lord, as, as followers of Jesus, give us the courage to just stay focused on Jesus when life seems to get out of hand, out of control, when, when the wind and the waves seem to put us under, we know we can trust in you. Give us that faith this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name.